So, um, Andrew had to rescue a bird from Ziggy's throat I don't want to hear today. this story. I don't want to hear this story. So, like, Ziggy found a dead bird Ugh. and then he tried to eat it whole. <coughs> what sort of bird was it? I don't. I didn't really see it, to be it honest. Kind of been that a big. little bird. Yeah, <laughs> just a magpie <laughs> Ziggy tries to shove yeah. in his mouth. And, so, and then he started trying to eat it whole, which, of course, he would have choked on. Oh, but he's a silly boy. So then... Andrew had to reach into his throat and grab the bird out. <laughs> Ziggy is the dumbest dog. He is, but he's it's like instead of brains, he has love. <clears throat> oh, like so lovable. Just dumb. So lovable, so but dumb. just not smart. No. I'm not that smart. Aww. He is the leaf coney bear he of the is dog leaf, world. He is leaf coney bear. <laughs> How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Except I'm just looking at my notes and realizing I wrote apology and then there's nothing next to it. So I I don't know if I thought I had an apology and then just didn't write oh, it. Or... Do, uh, see, I just have it as a as like an item and then if there's nothing, I don't write anything next to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But normally I get rid of it if there's no nothing. Oh, oh no. What have I done? You're just going to be like thinking about this the whole episode I now. have to dive back into yesterday's brain. Yeah. And I can't. No. I don't remember it. I have zero apologies. I, I, we've we've dived right in. This is my favorite musical. Hello, everyone. The welcome, podcast. Welcome to my favorite musical. That's Ruth. That's Josephine. Yes, and we will be your hosts today and forevermore. Yeah. This is the podcast where we talk about our favorite musicals. It is. We are up to our respective twenty sixth favorite musicals. I know. Isn't that crazy? We're never going to run out though. Never. Never. But I will also never talk about some musicals. Why? Well, like I'll, there are some musicals I will never, ever mention. I know. I think the hardest ones are like <clears throat> ones where we're just super indifferent about them. That's what I won't. Yeah. Like I'm not going to. There are just so many musicals where I'm like, eh. Imagine if there's an episode where I'm like, well, I don't have any more favourites. So, yeah. Ruth, what have you got? <laughs> Here's <laughs> Tuck Everlasting. <laughs> I just was really indifferent about that musical. Yeah, that's fair. I'm sorry to any Tuck Everlasting fans out there. No, I don't think they care. Yeah. Are they here? No, there are none. No, not in this room. No. Oh, poor Tuck. Yeah. Um, we're not too far away from like some shows opening in Australia, which is exciting. Do you reckon it will actually happen? Yeah, I do. Mm. But just like at like 50% attendance. That's the rules. Yeah. At the moment. So you reckon, what will it be first? Is it Pippin first? Pippin's first, yeah. Mm, Pippin. Mm. Casting choices. Interesting. Yeah, uh, upsetting. Look, you can go go to Instagram and find out all about it. Yeah, we're not going to say anything because we don't want to be sued. Yes. Mm. Um, and then Frozen. Such excellent musical choices. <laughs> like we've been without musicals for nine months. What should we start with? Pippin and Frozen. You excellent. Say, you say that. I don't think <clears throat> either of those are terrible musicals. I think they're both pretty bad. Do you? Yeah. I think most things are pretty bad. That's true. Um. I didn't like Pippin until I saw the Broadway revival and now I think it's great. Yeah, but do you think this production is going to be it great? It is that revival. It's that production. Oh, yeah. So I'm hopeful. Yeah, you are hopeful. I'm hopeful I would, about theater. I would say that about you generally. Yeah. You're a hopeful person. And I, I quite liked Frozen when I saw it on Broadway. I think you've caught me at a particularly hateful time. Okay. I feel very full of hate right okay. now. Right. Just, just hate everywhere. Um, My musical today won't help that. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready. Uh, so we have no apologies. No apologies. Have you got a spotlight for us this week? I do. Tell me. So 
Last night I watched the documentary on Netflix called Disclosure. Have you heard of that? I haven't. Um, It's basically about the history of transgender people and how they've been represented in media Mm. and, um, you know, like just the progress that's been made and also kind of how far there is to go and things like that. And it, it was really a really excellent documentary. I can't recommend it enough. And it reminded me of the actress MJ Rodriguez. Oh, yeah, nice. Um, who we might have briefly mentioned in the Little Shop episode. I can't remember if we, we mentioned did. that production or not. Anyway, um, I was reminded because I saw her in um, Rent off-Broadway in 2011. She played Angel. Oh, yes, you don't like Rent. Okay, but you're not doing that about beautiful MJ. No, just um, Rent. Yeah, uh, she played Angel and that was when it had closed on Broadway but reopened off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Like Annalee Ashford was in it and various people. So um, she stars on the FX TV show Pose, which has had two seasons and has been renewed for a third. Um, What's it called, Pose? Pose? Have you watched it? I haven't no. watched it. It's like um, about like ballroom culture and the nice. trans community. and Yeah, I really want Billy Porter's in it. I think Billy Porter Billy won an Porter. Emmy. I think Billy Porter won an Emmy for it, actually. I love Billy Porter. I know, me too. I, I, In fact, I really do need to watch that show. Um, and in 2019, she became the first openly transgender woman to win Best Actress at the Imogen Awards. Imagine. I don't. It's spelled I-M-A-G-E-N, which are awards that recognize positive portrayals of um, Latinx people in the entertainment industry. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, so I thought that was really cool. Um, that was for her work on Pose. And, of course, in terms of our musical connection, she played Audrey in the Pasadena Playhouse production of Little Shop of Horrors, becoming the first ever transgender woman of color to play her in a major production. Wow. Um, and I'm going to link to a video of her, her and George Salazar doing Suddenly Say More, George Salazar, who people would know from, from Be More Chill, Be More Chill and yeah. Godspell and other shows. Um, they, Just a freakishly good voice. Yeah, awesome. And, so and he that was Seymour. Boom revival. That's right, that off-Broadway <laughs> revival. Um, so they did Suddenly Seymour um, recently at the Glad Awards, so I'm going to link to that. They also did it on the Late Late Show with James Corden, which was online for ages, but then, like, when I went to link it, I can't find the video anymore. So that's, that's annoying. Yeah. I hate when that happens. I know. So, But they did it at the Glad Awards earlier this year, so um, I'm going to link to that uh, copy. But, yeah, um, she's just an amazing kind of transgender activist, actress, really successful um, performer, and she's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. That was a good spotlight. Thank you. And I highly recommend that documentary, Disclosure. It's on Netflix. Disclosure. Yeah. Got it. All right, my spotlight today, I want to talk about UB Blake. Oh, awesome. I know. So I know we've mentioned this wonderful man when we discussed Shuffle Along some weeks ago. UB Blake was the first African-American to write a Broadway musical. Yeah, and I know we spoke about Shuffle Along a lot, but I just want to talk about his life a bit. So he has a really incredible story. He was born in 1887 in Baltimore. Um, His parents had both been slaves Mm. and of their, like obviously by 1887, um, that was after the abolition of slavery, but they both lived as slaves for most of their lives and like they'd had eight children and Yubi was the only child who survived infancy. Oh, my God. I know, just like, oh, my God, it's incomprehensible. Um, he was considered like a child prodigy. Um, he stumbled upon an organ when he was four or five, like in a shop and just like hopped on it and played and was just like 
and natural wow which is just so amazing to me um he received lessons from a neighbor and began working as an organist at like a bordello when he was really young he was like 14 or 15 yeah awesome without his parents knowledge of course um he then teamed up with noble sissel as we know to form like a vaudeville duo and they were then responsible for shuffle along um and then the subsequent review entitled yubi i've linked to this wonderful video of him playing um charleston rag which is one of his most famous songs and also one that he composed when he was like 12. Wow. Yeah, because he's a freak. If you have the means to find it, he also performed with Gregory Hines on an episode of SNL like in 1979. Oh, my God. And like so that episode had like a really young Robin Williams in it and, yeah, as we know, Gregory Hines, incredible dancer, Um but that, like, the episodes on YouTube, you got to pay for it. Oh. Because it's, like, one, because it's so old. Right. It's, like, from season four of us and okay. whatever. But it's, I've seen, like, little clips of it. It's totally worth watching. But, yeah, I've linked to a really beautiful video. Um, and, yeah, he's just. Yeah, he's, he's a pioneer. Yeah, like a proper pioneer, like a proper, like, early voice. And to yeah. think of, like, of coming from that level of of oppression and hardship and poverty to really succeed, you know, yeah. in, in the musical industry is just incredible. Yeah. I think he got like maybe during the Reagan years he got like a presidential medal of honour or whatever. Like right. He, so he was quite renowned. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, well, just the more I hear about Shuffle Along, the more I realise how important it was so in important. the history of musical theatre and yeah. yet just not a story that gets told, yeah. is it? You know, like I'm so glad that the yes. show Shuffle Along um, and the subsequent, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm afraid I can't remember the full the title. The full title, yeah. Like 1921 sensation and all that followed or yes. whatever it is. But, yeah, incredible. Well, um, that's because as I was researching for my spotlight this week, I had an, I was going to do something a little different and then I thought, no, because I agree with you, I think Shuffle Along is so important that I want to just investigate those people a little more. Yeah. So I may talk about Noble Sissel next yeah. week just to really, because, yeah, these are the dudes who were just, just breaking new ground yeah. really in an industry that's still so um, dominated by white it people. It was the first black written musical, It was, right? that's yeah. right, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah, made it to Broadway, which is just a huge deal. So, yeah. Yeah, that's UB Blake. Awesome. Yeah. Um, what are we talking about for Theatre Explained? It, we are talking about a dome. Mm. Yes, also known as a follow spot. Yes. Also known as a spotlight. Excellent. Yeah, do you want to – do you know anything about – the weather term dome I came from? Or? Well, yeah. I, I mean, in researching it, I found out I hadn't heard that term before, oh, really? to be honest. Because it's like a quintessential Australian term. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's still like very widely used in Australian professional circles, like dome is the term. Yeah, right. And because I guess like that, that is where the follow spots are. In professional theatres, right? So that's what they get called. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, basically it's come from theatres, particularly in Australia, in, in the sort of the early years of theatres, used to sort of be built like a Victorian era theatres mm. and they would have a literal dome at the top of the theatre. So like a, a, an actual structure of a dome and that's that was the best place to put a spotlight yeah. and a person up there to operate the spotlight. Yeah. So then just gradually they became known as dome. Yeah. So you would have like a dome operator and the dome itself is the spotlight spotlight yeah and, that, and that's still like if you if you work professionally you would be on dome or you would have a dome cue sheet yeah. like it's it's just the way so that like a spotlighter a 
follow spot operator and a dome operator are all the same thing. Same thing, yeah. yeah. And the type of light is the same light as well. So it's generally like a specific type of light to call the profile. It's a light that has like a really powerful beam and like a like a straight edge around the beam. So it creates that. And everyone will know sort of what I'm referring to. It creates like a really hard edge around yeah. the light, yeah. um, which isn't great in lots of situations on stage. You just want general light, but spotlights are really good for creating like a really hard edge of light. Yeah. So it's always the same type of light, but yeah, just sometimes referred to as, as different sort of colloquialism, I and suppose. And normally if someone's operating it, they're following the person around on stage with it, That's hence right. follow spot. Yeah. I also um, I also read that um, a more historic term is limes. Yeah. And operated by a lime operator. Yeah. And the first follow spots used limelight as a light source and that was why. That's right. Um, and that is where we get the phrase being in the limelight yeah. from, refers to being in a follow spot beam, yeah. which I thought was very cool. It is really cool. And, of course, the ABBA song Super Trooper is about <laughs> being an actual, a, a follow spot operator. Yeah, so, and the Super Trooper is an actual, like, brand, really famous brand of, ah, of spotlights. Okay. Yeah, so if you sort of type in, like, what's a common brand, the Super Trooper yeah. is, is, like, a really famous. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that either. It's cool, Awesome. Hey? Very cool. <laughs> um, do you have any recommendations for us? Recommendations. Okay, I yes, I do. It's some books. I've just begun reading these um, but I haven't Ooh. finished yet. I'm still going to recommend them. It's the Alex and Eliza fan fiction trilogy. <laughs> so for context for everyone out there, I really I read books at an alarming rate. So I read about it usually one, maybe two novels per day. Feels like a humble brag. I'm sorry, I don't mean to say it like that. <laughs> I just mean that I consume books at an alarming rate she and does. I consume books of all levels of quality. So, like, I will read classics and I will read, like, total pieces of shit yep. just to consume, like, whatever I can. Yep. I don't think necessarily these books are going to be high literature. Yeah. <laughs> Shock horror. Um, but it's a, for anyone who's interested, there's, this is a trilogy about Alexander Hamilton and Elizabeth Schuyler's love story. It's written by Melissa De La Cruz, who just, like, is a prolific author of sort of, like, young adult contemporary romantic sort of books um i'll link to the books on goodreads for your perusal but so far i'm enjoying it so it's like it. literally fanfic well no like they're published it's they're published books but it is about it's like after hamilton came out she wrote these someone books. has imagined yeah yeah that's right so, so i don't it's think it's essentially it would, fan fiction it's, that's why i've called it a fan fiction yeah. i don't think she would appreciate me saying okay, that okay right <laughs> like right. i think it's it's just like you know how some people write like pride and prejudice sequels and stuff yeah. it's sort of like that okay i think so there's one about is it called after anatevka yeah. Yeah, there's one like that. And yeah. she was in Fiddler on That's the Roof right. on Broadway, yeah. It's actually really common. If you like a thing, like a really famous thing, there'll generally be some sort of like book sequel to it. Yeah. Like there's a famous sequel of Gone with the Wind that wasn't written by, um, what's his name, Margaret. Right. Like, what's her name? Anyway. Yeah. Like there's just, that shit exists, Margaret Mitchell. That shit exists everywhere. So this is pretty much, yeah, these three books. Yeah, so they're called the Alex and Eliza oh, trilogy. Fanfic is a whole world that I just have no idea about. No. Well, like, but it's enormous. It's huge. Yeah. And like I said, because I because I just read a lot, this is not necessarily something that I would say. If you read five or six books a year, you should spend your time yeah. on these. I don't like I'm not saying that this isn't literature, but yeah. if you like reading, go yeah. nuts. 
awesome. Yeah. What about you? Um, yes. One of mine is also Hamilton related, Ooh-hoo. which is there's a new um, series on Netflix called Song Exploder, which I believe is yeah, based on. Yeah, that's Rishi Kaishaway. Yeah. Right. Was, it, was it a podcast It's a first? podcast still. Yeah. So the guy who host, who co-hosts the West Wing Weekly, his name's Rishi Kaishaway. Oh, yes. Kaishaway. Yeah, that's right. That's his podcast, yes. Song Exploder. So there's a new TV show on Netflix. Yeah. And the second episode is on Wait For It. Excellent. From Hamilton. Because um, the crossover being Lynn is a really big fan of West Wing. We- of West Wing. And yeah. He's been on the West Wing Weekly a lot. Yeah. So he and Rishi know each other. Okay. So then, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I watched it the other day. It's only like half an hour and yeah. it's excellent. If you are a musical nerd and not, I don't mean musical theatre necessarily. I meant like just music, music generally. Yeah. Song Exploder is an excellent podcast. Yeah. Because it's usually like interviews with the actual songwriters or bands. Yeah. And they go into really great musical detail about maybe how they wrote their songs or chord progressions or why they chose those instruments or That's whatever. That's awesome. Like, it's really fascinating. They play a lot of like the old demos in this yes. and stuff like that. They sort of show the evolution of like yeah. writing the song. And they get like multi-tracks so that you, they break down like bits of the songs. Yeah. yeah anyway, it's just it's really, really cool. good. And then my other one, which is sort of to do with um, today's, like my topic today, um, is a documentary called Repeat Attenders. Yeah. And you can either watch it on Broadway HD or rent it. Who on... has Broadway HD? Well, like some people do. I don't think so. They do. Who? People. Who are these rich people? <laughs> um, <laughs> Where can I meet them? Or you can just rent it as a one-off on Vimeo. Oh, cool. But I'm linking to their website, repeatattenders.com, and um, it the reason it somewhat links in is it includes a woman who cosplays as Pearl from Starlight Express. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So it's it's literally about so the, the people who are like super obsessed fans. Oh, like um so like it times ten. Features a woman well, honestly it's a bit of a different category. Mm. Because I don't know about you, but I don't get like like I'm not the sort of person who would pay to see a show like thirty times. I did just recommend fan fiction. But you yes. did, but then like <laughs> No. Like have you booked to see Hamilton? No. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Like these are the people Some that really would have been cheap. these are the people that would have seen that would have like booked the yeah. day Hamilton came out. They would have booked for five shows. Wow. They would have made sure they were at the first preview. They would have made sure they were at whatever. Yeah. They know who's going in. They know, you know, like we're talking a different level of fan. Jeez, super fans. Super fans. Um, and, you know, so like it includes a woman who's seen Les Mis 977 times. Too many. Just a few too many. How many hours would that be of your right? life? Right? I know. They... I'm figuring that out right okay. now. What did but you say, 927? 77. <laughs> Three-hour show. Okay. Um, but what I just will it's, – it's worth watching. Just like if you're a musical theatre fan, like it is about that world and, you know, so I think you'll find that interesting. But I will say it's like kind of shows that like – these people often have like psychological problems yes. that are sort of manifesting in this obsession. Shit. Um, it's not so much a celebration of theatre, for example, but um, that would be interesting. Yeah, um, and and I have to say, like, it doesn't. I don't know how. Like, it just made me feel a little unsettled than mm. anything. Like, I wasn't like, oh, these people are going to get help. I don't think they are. Oh no, so, it's like watching hoarders. Yeah, it is a bit like that. Oh, can yeah. I tell you? So I added on an hour to the. So I made it four hours for travel to and okay. from. Okay. So that's three thousand nine hundred and eight hours Ugh. of layman. Well, this woman, I think she lived in like say like Manchester or something. So it was like a much more than an hour of travel. It was like she would get the train. Holy like shit. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, so that's my recommendations for this week. That's good. Yeah. Should we segue straight into talking about musicals? Yeah. yeah. Am I first? I'm first. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to stop being salty about it because as I listen to the episodes, I realise that you're right. Yeah. We do go 
We do yeah, alternate. It's, it's exactly 50%. Every time you say that you're first, I think, fucking you're not. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really I shit. love you listening back and just being like, oh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I did go first last week. Yeah. <laughs> So as, yeah. as my little um, recommendation somewhat gave away, this week I am doing the show Starlight Express. <laughs> What's your initial reaction? Shock. Shock. Um, disgust. Yeah. Disappointment. Disappointment. In you. I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. I am just, I just want to, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it off air. I want to just sit you down and say like. <laughs> I want to stop recording and shake you. What were you thinking? You. Like, like. Like, talk me through it, Ruth. Yeah. Why? Okay. <laughs> this like, is so... It's not, it's beyond an egg shaker. Like, it, it's so, I just don't, I why know. are we even, why are we okay. doing this? All right. So, straight up, before we get into anything, the first thing you need to know, listeners, about this show is that the entire cast is on roller skates <laughs> and that they are portraying trains. Okay? <laughs> before we get into anything, that's what you need to know. This is a weird front one for me because I don't really love this show anymore, right? Like I don't. You can't. I don't no one think can. it's particularly good, but it was a very important show in my theatrical life. And when <laughs> I was 10, I was obsessed with it. Oh okay. So this was the first show I ever saw on the West End. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was Formative. 10 years old. It was Christmas Eve in 1997 and we were there on holidays. That's pretty cute. And Christmas Eve. I asked my parents this, like I rang them this week and I was like, what, why did we go and see Starlight Express? Like what was the <laughs> impetus for this? And basically it was just a last minute decision to see a show. Like we didn't have anything on that night. It makes and a lot of sense why your parents hate musicals. <laughs> they, but then like I asked them the other day and they were like, wasn't it great? I was like, no. <laughs> why do you say that? But I was it like, was do you Christmas really have Eve, that memory of it? Like it's magic. Yeah. Shit. Um, and apparently that was the one that had tickets left. Like that, like literally that was what made their decision. It was like an hour before the show was Fuck. due to start. And it was like, yep, we could get tickets for this. Right. It also sounds like it's going to be fun. Starlight Express. So here's the thing. I remember thinking that the fact that there was a track that went all the way around the edge of the audience yeah. and they would skate around you and there was one that went about halfway Fuck into the audience hell. as well was the most incredible thing, right? Oh like for the next two years I rollerbladed all around my lounge room belting I am the starlight at the top of my – like it was like I loved it. It makes I loved me so it. sad for you. I – Think you should shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't. Okay. So Starlight Express. So music by Andrew Lloyd Webber. Lyrics by Richard Stilgo. <laughs> Do you know much about Richard Stilgo, by the way? No. He also did Phantom and he did Aspects of Love. Aspects of Love? Yeah. That other piece of shit. Aspects of Incest. Um, anyway, but that's like, that's it? Like, what a career. Anyway. Um, but later productions have also featured additional songs with lyrics by... Don Black. Oh, yeah. David Yazbek. Oh, wow. Didn't know that. Um, Nick Cola and Lauren Aquilina. And additional music by Andrew Lloyd Webber's son, Alastair Lloyd Webber. Random. That is random. Yeah. So. But, is- like, more people, you're not going to fix it. Like, don't just put your fingers on it and try and fix this piece of shit. Just throw it away. It's mostly like they just, like, will, like, add a song. Yeah, like, right. here's a new song kind That's of thing. That's what it needs. So it's. Basically about a little boy's dream of his toy train Fever dream. Coming to life, right? <laughs> like it's a little boy playing with his trains and that's the people on roller skates. And like on mushrooms. The show that, the show that is then 
like actually performed for us with the trains, right, <laughs> has changed many, many times in the 35 years since it was first performed. But in all versions, the fundamental story has stayed the same, which is that a young but obsolete steam engine <laughs> named Rubs Rusty <laughs> races in a championship against modern engines oh in God. the hope of impressing a first-class carriage named Pearl. What the Right? Fuck? Like that is the basic story. So wait, when you mentioned earlier that someone cosplayed as Pearl, that's just a person dressed up as a train? Well, it's like all the costumes were like these kind of steampunky like. Um, like the personification silver. of trains? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's like it is. That is what it is. It's like an anthropomorphic train. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. So it's actually kind of similar to Cats in many ways because it's like, but like rather, than, work. rather than Cats introducing themselves, it's like. Trains. trains introducing themselves like you know how the cats come out and like tell us about aspects of their personalities i don't know which one is worse like which concept is worse this is trains doing that fuck <laughs> how so, did this person create jesus christ superstar uh, like it's crazy how? years before as well and how i don't think jesus christ superstar was written by <laughs> angelo weber i don't i do <laughs> you did a vita like yeah. a few weeks ago yeah but i told you i was in turmoil about that okay so the show has its roots in three very random separate places that inspired Andrew Lloyd Webber to write write the show. Did he live near train tracks? Does he just love steam trains? No. Okay. So, uh, well, but it was partly just about writing a show for his kids, though. I will say that. Like, that was part of it. Oh. Um, so he really wanted to adapt Thomas the Tank Engine <laughs> into an animated TV show. This was, like, in the 70s. And he actually even, like, made a pilot and everything. So this is years before Thomas and Friends yeah, right. existed. Um, so that was, like, one idea, right? He, he had this failed animated TV show of Thomas Tank Engine. He, he wrote a novelty pop single called Engine of Love oh. with another writer called Peter Reeves for an American soul singer named Early Jordan who could sing three notes at once in the style of a steam engine and they wrote this song oh, Engine of Love for him. Like he was, a, he was um, what's that called, overtone singing? Yeah. Wow. So that, then there was, so that's, we've got that, right? That's our second element. And then, but it was called Engine of Love. That was, it was, a, novel, it was like, a novelty pop song. I don't like that title. <laughs> and then there was, and, and that song made its way into some incarnations of Starlight Express oh as well. Um, and then there was a failed animated adaptation of Cinderella, which used trains to tell the story of Cinderella. <laughs> so this is basically like the Cinderella story, but with trains, oh my right? God. But okay. Rusty is Cinderella, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> So that's what all that is our soup that makes Starlight Express. Okay. So the show opened in London at the Apollo Victoria Theatre to mixed reviews on <laughs> March 27th, 1984. And it ran until the 12th of January, 2002. Preposterous. Having played 7,409 performances. It is currently the ninth longest running musical in West End history. How does Merrily get like eight shows? I just gets like, what the fuck? It was also the most expensive show ever staged on the West End at the time it opened. Well, yeah, all those wheels. Well, and a fucking track that goes around the <laughs> entire audience. Um, I should also note that like while the show was running on the West End, it was completely revamped and relaunched in 1992 as the new Starlight Express. So does that mean it was still running? Like- they, they still count it. Uh, yeah, they still counted it as one continuous run. They probably closed they probably, for a few yeah. weeks. Yeah, right. But 12 songs were removed and five new songs were added. It's a big change. It's a big change. Um, the show – so like, like West End, it has a massive run, right? <laughs> 
The show opens on Broadway at the Gershwin Theatre, which is where Wicked is now. Interestingly yeah. enough, it's also where it is. The Apollo Victoria in London is also where Wicked is playing. Huh. I think just think that's kind of crazy. That is. I guess it's like a big, they're both big theatres. Yeah. Like that's probably the idea. And like big, like traditional proscenium arch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'm guessing that's what it is, but it's just interesting that it's the same theatre. <laughs> so it opened on the 15th of March, 1987, and it ran till the 8th of January, 1989, for a total of 761 performances. Still too long. <laughs> Still too many. Um, it was nominated for seven Tony Awards. Oh, my God. Winning only one for Best Costumes. What do, you, what do you think it lost to for Best Musical that year? What was it, 87? 87. Oh, 87. Is that um, – oh, that's not the Into the Woods year, is it? No, that's the year after. Uh, it's going to be something really obvious, yeah. hey? Is it Les Mis? It's Les Mis. Yeah. Um, so for Best Musical it was up against Rags, Ooh. Me and My Girl and Les Mis, and, <laughs> of course, Les Mis won. Yes. Um, so I, I, I couldn't get a, like a definitive answer on this, but from my understanding, they never fully recouped their costs in, in New York. Like, I think it got very close, but mm. it never actually fully recouped. I suppose the West End normally, would have made up for it. Well, yeah, mm. far out. Um, the Tiffins contributed to that we monstrosity. Did. <laughs> <laughs> um, then there's this production. Now, I, I tried to find a pronunciation of this town, but I may be getting it wrong, in Bochum, Germany which has been running in a purpose-built theatre oh since 1988. When you say purpose-built, like it's got a train track in it, doesn't oh, it? Oh, yes. <laughs> well, no, like like roller skate tracks, yeah. <laughs> They're not real trains, Josephine. Oh, uh-huh, sorry. They're metaphorical trains. I thought I was just suspending my disbelief. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, obviously, like, it stopped because of COVID, but, like, literally since 1988. It is the most successful musical ever in Germany and has been seen by over 17 million people. Yeah. Like, Australia has a population of, what, 20-something like million? Like 22 million. Yeah. Imagine 17 million most... people have seen Salah Express in Germany. It's too many. Yeah. So many changes have been made over the years to that production, and Andrew Lloyd Webber was involved in some significant changes in 2018 after he saw it and decided it was, like, totally outdated and sexist. Like, he was like... This is, well, like one of my fun facts was that in 1990 he called it his least favourite show in an interview. Imagine oh. if you've written Cats and it's still not your <laughs> least favourite. He loves Cats. Isn't he? Well, it's made him a bit of money. Yeah. Um, so he then made some significant changes in 2018 and what is now exists at, in Bochum is considered to be the definitive version of Starlight Express. Wait, did you say he thought it was too sexist? Yeah. Hmm. Andrew Lloyd Webber thought something was sexist. He, he goes, it, it, it includes removing a lot of the sexist material in the show. And they, well, interestingly, they also made three characters gender variable. Mm. So it's like, well, they're it's, it's not like it's a non-binary character. It's like either can play it. Yeah. And it, there's just not, nothing in the script that sort of says it has to be one way or the other. Yes. Because they're thing. trains. Correct. They're trains. <laughs> um, I, I think the show to... would be better if it was actually just performed by trains. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to link to a clip of highlights from the production in Germany. It is in German. I'm just letting you know that. But it gives you a sense of what the show is. It also ran from, um, it, like, obviously it had productions literally all around the world. It came yeah. to Australia yeah. um, briefly, like, uh, big in Japan, like, all these different places. Um, it ran from, but one I want to mention is it ran from 1993 to 1997 in Las Vegas in a condensed 90-minute production. Mm. I don't know that we've talked about the Las Vegas, Las Vegas productions mm, before. I don't know if we have, we but haven't. they're all like 90 minutes. Like everything that plays in Vegas is 90 no minutes. No one has time for more than that in Vegas. I, I actually kind of love it. Yes. So like 
It's so accessible. I, I've seen a few shows there and the only musical that I got to see was Phantom. Yeah. That was in 2011. But I sort of loved it. The condensed version. Yeah. Because yeah. it was just a parade of hits. Yeah. Right? For yeah. Phantom. It was just like, let's get them out. And um, <laughs> it was, but it, Solo Express was the first musical, like proper musical to play in Vegas, which I didn't know wow. until I was researching this. It's interesting as well. When I saw Phantom in, um, in Vegas, w- was my friend Zach and I had been drinking because it's, it's not Vegas. like you actually. Well, not now, but no. back then, um, yeah. <laughs> we had a yard glass each, mm-hmm. and these ushers we just had cheapy cheap seats out the back, and these ushers like took pity on us, just decided they liked these drunk Australians, and moved us to like the like house seats. Oh no! And in that production, the, the chandelier is in the auditorium. Oh, cool! And when it drops, it drops quick yes. in the middle of the auditorium. So and we're, you were like. Drunk. Screaming. Tipsy and it just like <laughs> plummeted over our heads. I can imagine Zach just actually screaming. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, so we've mentioned in a previous episode, but Starlight Express on Broadway marked the Broadway debut of actress Jane Krakowski. Yeah, Who we love from 30 Rock and many other things. Um, she was 18 and she played Dinah the Dining Car in the original Broadway cast. <laughs> the original Broadway cast also featured Andrea McArdle, who was the original Annie 10 years before that. Um, during its run on Broadway, uh, it twice set the record for the highest grossing week ever on Broadway with 560,000 and 606,000 respectively. That was in 1987. Wow. That's amazing. In contrast, the current record for the highest grossing ever week is 4.04 million set by Hamilton in early January, 2019. Holy Jesus. Literally like eight times as much. Isn't that insane? Yeah. It's just, yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, I also Much loved more deserved too. When, when, um, when we moved offices in 2010, uh, like me personally, uh, lots of great just like random theatre merch filled this office that like my, my company had been in for like 20, 30 years and it was pretty much just all up for grabs and one of my like prized possessions from that move is just a random Starlight Express jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> I just love the randomness of that. Yeah, that's very random. Um, This was like quite an interesting week of introspection for me because re-listening to the show like really made me question my taste level as a (laughs) 10-year-old. But, Um, I mean, you were 10. Calm down. Are are there any other shows that besides Rent, obviously, that you loved as a kid that you really don't like now? No. No. I'm very tasty. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's not true. I used to watch a lot of like – um, movie musicals, like classic ones. Yeah. And a lot of them now are just really terrible. Like Seven Brides or Seven Brothers was my favourite when I was a kid and it's the most sexist piece of trash. I've heard that the movie of that is great but the show is like the musical is bad. Oh, yeah. And the movie is great but yeah. it's so sexist. Okay. Like it's, it's also about rape culture and it's, right. pretty, it's pretty fucked up. Yeah. yeah. So 10-year-old me was not very woke. Yes. <laughs> but not like, yeah, you didn't have any of those like silly shows that you're obsessed with. And... Not Starlight Express <laughs> Fuck you. Um, I also think that there's an interesting subgenre of shows where there's sort of whole fan communities who aren't necessarily general musical theatre fans but are fans of, like, very specific musicals, like just of those shows. So, for example, like one of our go-tos when we're researching is to look up, like, Broadway World message threads and just see sort of what was being said at the time, right? And obviously part of it is that Broadway World didn't exist in 1987 when it was on Broadway. <laughs> yes. But also, like, there were just very few um, message threads, like, about this show, right, on Broadway World. But yeah. there is an entire, like, 
Starlight Express fan community website, you know, like one what? of those wiki like yeah. oh, type yeah, websites. Yeah. yeah. Um, just on Starlight Express. And, you know, it's the same thing with superstars, same thing with cats. This is, and like maybe it's an Android Weber thing. I don't know. But it's kind of the same with Lamy. It's like there are shows that people love. They just attract these. Yeah. And it's like for what it, like, but they're not really general musical theatre fans. Mm. It's like a weird thing. That's so true of some, like, some particular musicals, like I would say Cats, I would say Phantom, I'd say Les Mis. Even, but I even think it would, it's probably true of, like, something like Six now or something, oh, even yeah. like Beetlejuice or, like, yeah. there are shows where if it crosses over yeah. into other fandoms yeah. as well. So there'll just be a person who's like, I hate musicals but I love Beetlejuice. Yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a weird one. But not, yeah, like a lot, like I would never say that Sondheim would ever have a show that someone would be like, I hate musicals but I love Sunday in the Bible yeah. George. Could Sweeney Todd's probably the closest you'd come to that? I think if you love Sweeney Todd, you probably love opera though. Mm. Mm. I think there are a lot of like horror kind of, or like if you love, like people who love the film, like Tim Burton fans. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so some gateway songs. So I. Good, we're nearly done. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> so in the end, I've gone for, like, I Am the Starlight, I think, is still a fucking banger. You mentioned it on one of our first mixtapes. I did. Like, I legitimately love this song I to I mean, it's this weird, day. but it's good. But it's great. It's like a classic, like, musical theatre yeah. kind of, you know, he realised, you know, he is the starlight all along. <laughs> He's looking for the Starlight Express. Oh, and no. it, with, it was within him all along, Josephine. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We are all the starlight. <laughs> So that is my number one. I am a starlight. Um, I've also gone for I one of. I love that you, the hubris of you thinking there are gateway songs to this musical you. or people should listen to other, it. One of the other ones I've gone for is uh, one of the opening numbers called Rolling Stock, uh, which is just sort of introducing one of the fast electric trains. Oh and Light at the End of the Tunnel is the finale. So many great train uh, Just on the nose, aren't they? Like on the nose. (laughs) And for Light at the End of the Tunnel, I have, I've done the new London cast recording and the other two I've done the original London cast recording. It was the original London cast recording I think I mostly grew up listening to. Yeah, I'm sure. I actually didn't realise that this new London cast recording existed when I went back to listen to it this week. And was it good? I mean, none of it's good, Josephine. Like it's all very tacky and it's all all so 80s. It's all so, but I don't know. I could still see someone going, like kids going to see it now and enjoying it. (laughs) I don't know. Um, So I'm going to link to a few cast recordings. So there is the original London cast. Mm -hmm. There is the 1992 new Sala Express London cast. They didn't do a Broadway cast recording. But instead they recorded a concept album, Mm, like, in America at that time. ALW. Yeah. Yeah. So they did that instead and it features artists such as Elder Barge Hmm. and Harold Faltermeyer um, on this, like, concept recording. Random. I think it's weird to do a concept recording when the show's been running for, like, four years, though. Yeah, so that sort of defeats the purpose of a concept album. Right. It's more than like a studio album. It's kind of right? like it's kind of like the Hamilton mixtape, really. Like it's like people yeah. doing covers and obviously though the thirst for Starlight Express stuff was so great that they thought there would be an audience yeah, for it though. Exactly. Like, exactly. Um, so yeah, that's Starlight Express. Well, thanks. I think it, I would have thought me not liking something would cheer you up. Yeah, but you you still talked about it. <laughs> That's the point. That's what I'm offended by. But I think it's I I think it's really good for us to we'd be reflective. Well, acknowledge that just because something isn't 
great, like isn't objectively good, doesn't yeah, it mean still it has can't a place. be someone's favourite. Yeah. 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 That's very true. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, I may have regretted my decision a few times over the course of the week, but it <laughs> didn't we mean I was still like, I have to acknowledge that 10-year-old Ruth thought this was such a great show. And that, I think that's really valid. Yeah. Completely. And and like I thought it, yeah, like, like it, sitting in that theatre, I thought it was fucking magical, you know? And that's the whole that's the whole point of theatre. Right. Like I don't care how you get into it. Exactly. If Stella expresses the way that you get into theatre, then awesome. Like neither of us are big Annie fans, but that's a lot of people's gateway when they're kids. Yeah, man, that's you know? sad. <laughs> I mean, I can, I, I can see why people love Annie. It's just not for me. Mm. Yeah. That's Stella Express. Thanks. I am the starlight. We're are, all the starlight. You are the starlight. <laughs> All right, I'm going to talk to you about an actual good musical. Fuck you. Called Cabaret. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, too, true. <laughs> this one is a good one. Okay, I want to talk about Cabaret. Um, I have seen this musical quite a few times and, of course, I've seen the film and the older I get, the more I appreciate it. Like it is, this is, it's so multifaceted and clever. It's definitely the best Candor and Ebb musical. Oh, interesting. None. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, it's quite dark, which I've proven to be a fan of. Just a total side note, I saw a thread on Twitter this week where someone was like, thought that The Visit is the best Candor and Ebb musical and was like, I'll fight anyone who disagrees. And I was just like, I saw that on Broadway and I highly disagree. Wow. Yeah. Although there are like 20 Candor and Ebb musicals. Yeah, there's a lot. Literally 20. Yeah. (laughs) I counted them. I know. (laughs) There are 20. Uh, Some of them are great. Some of them are not great. Yeah. Um, Okay, so this is a 1966 book musical with music by John Camdar, lyrics by Fred Ebb and book by Joe Masteroff. There we go. Oh. So I wrote this really long synopsis, but it got so convoluted that I yeah. then went to Wiki and just got the abridged version. Okay. Would you like me to read the really long convoluted one? No. No. I'm going to do the abridged version. Okay. Here it is. Set in 1931 Berlin, as the Nazis are rising to power, it focuses on the nightlife at the seedy Kit Kat Club and revolves around American writer Cliff Bradshaw and his relationship with English cabaret performer Sally Bowles. A subplot involves the doomed romance between German boarding house owner Fraulein Schneider and her elderly suitor, Herr Schultz, a Jewish fruit vendor. Overseeing the action is the master of ceremonies at the Kit Kat Club. The club serves as a metaphor for ominous political developments in late Weimar Germany. Mm. A much better synopsis than the absolute drivel that I tried to write because <laughs> <laughs> it got so complex. I was like, oh, my God, what? The sentences are so long because I was just like, oh, so much happens. Anyway, that is the basic plot. So Cabaret, how do you feel about Cabaret? I, I To be honest, I've never seen it on stage. I've only really? seen the film and listened to it. You've never seen it on stage? No, not even like an amateur You've really missed out because the film is so different. Yeah, I've heard that. That makes me sad. I wish I had seen the Broadway revival and seen like I, I can't remember who was in it. Yeah, I'll when tell I was you in there. a bit. Well, no, but it, you know it was a few. It was Emma Stone. Yeah, there were and, lots. Sienna Miller. Yeah, 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 that's right. There was quite a few, and I can't really remember who was there when I was in the city. But oh, I wish and I'd you didn't seen see it. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a shame because it it's really like, and I've I've seen lot, lots of Candor and Ebb shows, and this one's definitely so they're most complex and they're most important and they're most like. Um, I would say just moving from start to yeah. finish. It's definitely their cleverest as well. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people will think that Chicago is their best and it's probably their most sort of entertaining. Yeah. You know, like, and it's a bit of fluff and the story is sort of fun, but it's nothing's more fun than murder. <laughs> but this one's just. Yeah, well, this is a lot deeper, right? It's a lot deeper. Yeah. And obviously it's more personal to Kander and Ed. They're both Jewish. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, it's just it's just got a bit more of a of a like a hit to your stomach. This yeah. Show. Um, so some background. Cabaret is based on the 1951 play by John Van Druten titled I Am a Camera, which in turn was adapted from the 1939 short novel Goodbye to Berlin by Christopher Isherwood. The novel by Isherwood is semi-autobiographical. So he was a British author living in Berlin at the at the end of the Weimar Republic and sort of the beginning of the rise of Nazi Germany. So yeah. he wrote pretty much like what was happening in his life. So that was the short story. How Prince, who obviously is a pretty big player, we've talked about him so many times, how busy was he in the 60s, man? Jeez. Anyway, Crazy. He just, how Prince had just come off a run of like not very successful shows. This is when he's just producing, right? Yeah, and directing. Yeah. Well, like he just produced, for example, Fiddler on the Roof and then he like directed, I think it was like Flora the Red Menace or something like that. Okay, yeah. So he'd, he'd done it like a combo, but he just had like a few flops. Mm. So he had like Baker Street flopped, Flora the Red Menace flopped and It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman had flopped. Yeah. Um. But so he almost gave up, like altogether he said he was going to quit theatre, but instead he bought the rights to create an adaptation of Goodbye to Berlin and he commissioned Joe Masteroff to write the book. He then brought in Kander and Ebb to write the music just like because they'd worked on um, Flora and on like a couple of other shows already. So he brought them in. Um, for context, Kander and Ebb at the time had been writing like popular songs yeah so they they'd written like my coloring book that which i've mentioned in a mixtape that had a lot of success with that so they'd written like standalone songs that are still quite theatrical but um but yeah hadn't really made much of a foray into theater and they wrote new york new york right that's right well they wrote that for god i think it was for a play it's a play called new york new york and they wrote it for that play and is there then a film of that and it's in like the credits or maybe that's what i'm thinking of it they wrote it for the film yeah but whatever what it is like it came they wrote it for a thing and then it became like the huge hit that yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, New York, New York was after Cabaret, I think. Okay. I think. Could be wrong. Anyway, um, yeah, so Kendra and Ebb had done all this like standalone writing and then they decided to just move into theatre and they did, like I said, they wrote 20 musicals. Um, so the show began as a dramatic play. That's what Hal Prince wanted. But they, he wanted the play to be preceded by a bunch of songs as like a prologue that would describe the atmosphere in Berlin. So sorry, is this their first musical? No. Oh, okay. It's not. Okay. But they had like, I think they had Flora. Oh, yeah. And something else. I can't even think of what it but was. But they had moved into it after. Yeah, and it was yeah. sort of like a quick move into yeah. theatre and then they were just like bang, bang, bang. Yeah, okay. A million musicals. Um, so, yeah, the, the show was originally intended to be a play that just started off with like a couple of songs that would right. set the scene and then the play would play happen. Play with music. Yeah, think. but then it sort of quickly, as Kander and Ebb de- started developing these songs, it sort of quickly turned into like a traditional book musical. So after rehearsals, it had a pre-Broadway run in Boston and then it opened at the Broadhurst Theatre in November 1966. It transferred to the Imperial and then it transferred to the Broadway Theatre and it closed in September 1969 after 1,165 performances and 12 or 21 previews. That's a lot at that time. It's a lot, yeah, Yeah, like late 60s, yeah, that's really good. Um, So this production was directed by Hal Prince, obviously, and it featured some really non-traditional elements. So he he went quite... um, 
he really tried to depart from the more traditional musicals he'd produced and directed in the past. So some things that he did, like the curtain was already up as the audience entered, mm. which was really like yeah, groundbreaking at the time. Of, yeah. yeah, And the the stage had a really minimal set. So it was like this huge um, mirror in the middle of the stage mm. that reflected out onto the auditorium, which was just like really freaky. Um, because so much of the show is set in the Kit Kat Club, there is like an onstage band as well, yeah. which at the time was groundbreaking. Um, the band on stage is just the instruments that you'd expect in the club. So like brass, a banjo, a piano, accordion, drums. Meanwhile, there's also a band in the pit. So like more woodwind and strings and stuff down there. Uh, choreography of that production was by Ron Field and the cast featured the very perfect Joel Grey as the MC, Yes. Um, and Jill Howarth as Sally. Yep. That original production won the Tony for Best Musical that year against I Do, I Do, The Apple Tree and Walking Happy. Yep. Not a huge year, to be fair. Um, but it also won Best Original Score, Best Featured Actor for Joel Grey, Best Featured Actress, Best Direction, Best Corey, Best Scenic Design and Best Costume Design. Yeah. So it did really well that year. Um the show then premiered on the West End in February 1968 at the Palace Theatre and that starred Judy Dench as Sally Bowles. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, I've linked to some footage of that because you have to see it right now. Like pause what you're doing. Right. And go and look at Judy Dench in 1968 being Sally Bowles. Holy fuck. Amazing. Amazing. Wow. And she's the perfect Sally Bowles. Really? Like she's got the that sort of like slightly husky English yes. accent. Like she's not the, a perfect singer, but you don't want that for Sally Bowles. No. You want it to be a bit rough. Well, that's apparently, I mean, you might talk about this, but isn't that part of it is that Sally's, like the idea is that Sally's not that talented? Yes, exactly. Yeah. She shouldn't be like a really red hot singer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's Judy a lot Dench, of the, what a fucking treasure. Yeah, so go watch that. I'll link to that video because it is so good. Um, yeah, so that production had Judy Dench, um, it ran for 336 performances, which is oh. not too bad for, like, late 60s in London. Right. There was then a 1986 West End revival and a 1987 Broadway revival, both still starring Joel Grey. Yeah, So, wow. like, he spent a lot of time doing this role. Um, then we had well, a really... The same thing happens, right? Like, yeah. you're about to talk about it. The same thing happens with Alan Cumming. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So then we move into the new era, um, the really notable 1993 London revival that was directed by Sam Mendes. Yeah. Um, this starred Jane Horrocks as Sally yeah, and Alan wow. Cumming as the MC, and I would have loved to have seen yeah. that because Jane Horrocks is just like a freak. Yeah, so people would know her if you watch Red Dwarf. Or Abfab. Or Abfab is yeah, probably. Yeah, so she was Bubble in Abfab. She was Little Voice yeah. in Little Voice. Um, yeah, Red Dwarf. She's one Just of those... like an English, like, and, comedian yeah, and Yeah, and when you, look, when you watch her, like, on TV shows, you think you wouldn't think much of her. Like, she's funny, but then when she sings, yeah. like, she's really talented. And she's got this, like, again, this really, like, sultry... Yes. Voice you, you would don't not expect to come out of this little petite. Yeah. yeah. But as soon as, like, when you think of her as Sally, it makes so much sense. Yeah. And Alan Cumming as the MC, yeah. like, oh, my genius. God, genius. Such good casting. So the major difference in this production was the presentation of the MC character. So this is where Alan Cumming's MC really, like, differentiated from Joel Grey's MC. So Joel Grey was a lot more asexual and edgy. He dressed in, like, a tux. 
Alan Cummy was a lot more sexual. Right. And it was more explicitly implied that the MC was targeted by the Nazis and that the MC was definitely gay. Okay. Like in Alan Cummings um, or in Sam Mendes' production, yeah. I should say. And this is before Sam Mendes, like, did film. So this yes. is like this he's is like the his, darling like, of the theatre. Oh, yeah, like yeah. all of his amazing theatre. Like he was known for these Pre-American revivals. american beauty. Yeah, and these really sort of dark, clever revivals that yeah. he would do at this in this era. Really clever. So this revival then transferred to Broadway in 1998. It became the third longest-running Broadway revival with that's 2,377 right. performances. Yeah, that's right. So it's a much longer run than the original. Yeah. Um, Alan Cumming reprised his role with Natasha, Natasha Richardson playing Sally. Yeah. That revival was nominated for 10 Tonys and it won four, including a Best Actor for Alan Cumming, Natasha Richardson got Best Actress, it got Best Revival of a Musical and something else, I can't remember what it got. People talk um, about that revival still. Oh, like yeah. a really special. Yes. And that she was incredible as well. And it's interesting because those same people are passionate about Joel Grey, mm. but for some reason, because you know how music theatre people can get really like attached to yeah. it. This is the one show that I found, like in all the forums, people are like, Joel Grey was amazing, Alan Cumming was amazing. Yeah, And they can like separate the two productions. Yeah. Because they're really different. Well, and because like literally can't you license either version? Yeah, and I'm going to get to that because there's actually a lot of versions. Yeah. And they, they do differ quite dramatically. So that production had a bunch of noteworthy replacements during this really epically long run. So, like I said, 2,377 performances. For Sally, Terry Hatcher replaced Molly Ringwald, Brooke Shields and Leah Thompson. So, once again, all actresses who are strong actresses but not necessarily really strong singers. Yeah. Which is really common for Sally. Um, Some MC replacements included Michael C. Hall, who was apparently like the darkest MC. I bet. He would have been fucking. I would have loved to see him. That's right. Exactly. Um, Raul Esparza, Neil Patrick Harris, Adam Pascal. Norbert Leo Butts and John Stamos. Oh my God. Like, what a lineup. I'm so here for this. Right? That's why I put that list down. I was like, holy shit, all of them line up right now. Yeah. Sorry to, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What am I doing? Sorry to our husbands? No, no. No, God, no. Sorry to Joel Grey? No. Oh, Joel Grey, he's so cute. Yeah. Um, Okay, so since then there have been two more London revivals and another Broadway revival in 2014. So this one starred Alan Cumming again with Michelle Williams in her Broadway debut as Sally. She was later replaced by Emma Stone and then Sienna Miller. This show has really only been replicated in any serious way since um, the Mendes London revival. Like it wasn't really sort of internationally taken yeah. from the original. It was only since that um, 1993 right. Mendes production that it really like went nuts. that, I'm sure you'll mention it, that came here with Tina Arena, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. And that like it was, fa- it was fairly noteworthy here in Australia yeah. but it pretty much went like so it was here, it was in Argentina, it was Brazil, Canada, Colombia, France, Portugal, Mexico, Spain, like many more. Right. It was just sort of everywhere for a season there. Um, there's also randomly, and I'm going to link to, so on Spotify you can listen to the original Broadway cast, the film, the, uh, there was one other, I think it's the, maybe the London cast recording, and then there's this really random 1999 studio cast recording. Oh. And that that studio cast recording starred Jonathan Price as the MC. Oh. Which is sort of random, but when you listen to it, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. It features pretty much what's good about that studio cast recording is that it pretty much has the entire score, including like um, 
like incidental music. Yeah. So it's sort of the most complete representation okay. of the score that you can find yeah. and that's on Spotify. Okay, so let's talk about the film. The 1972 film is loosely based on the musical. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that this is like a film of the musical. Oh, really? Yeah, it's very loosely based. By that I mean only a few of the songs from the stage show were even used in the film. Yeah. Um, the plot is largely the same with some character changes. The nationality of Sally and Cliff change. In fact, Cliff is not Cliff anymore, he's Brian. Oh. And so, like, um, yeah, just weird stuff like that. So, basically, Bob Fosse, the amazing choreographer we all know, um, caught wind of the film project in 1971 and he begged to direct it. And if you've seen Fosse Verdon, you will know that Bob Fosse directed Sweet Charity, the film, and that totally bombed. Yeah. Like, it was a huge flop. And he was known as, like, quite a difficult man to work with. So, yeah. producers were a bit, I think it was, like, Sid Fuhrer maybe, who was yeah. the director. Um were a bit sus on letting him direct it, but eventually he wore them down and they agreed. Um, if you uh, – apparently, and I don't know I don't know why this fact even got popped into, like, my research, but apparently, like, they'd already cast Joel Grey in the film and yeah. they said to Bob Fosse, like, you can have this job but we're not changing that casting. Yeah. So I don't know if that was because he had an issue with the casting or if that's just a thing that – Just that, like, a, that's a prerequisite. Yeah, I don't know. But so he wasn't involved in the stage show? No, not at all. At all. And I thought he had been, like, in my mind. I thought mind, he'd been the choreographer at least. Yeah, he, he wasn't. But yeah, he wasn't. It wasn't a, like he was obviously the choreographer of Chicago – but not of cabaret. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Which in my head I was I thought he was more involved earlier, but no, it was the film that he became yeah. involved in. So um he Bob Fosse had some problems with the screenplay that was written by Jay Press and Allen, and he brought in Hugh Wheeler to revise the screenplay. Um you may remember Hugh Wheeler from A Little Night Music when we talked about him. Yeah. So And Sweeney Todd? I think so, yeah. 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 Um one of the excellent decisions that Bob Fosse made was cutting the songs that occur outside of the club. So the only remaining song that happens like outside of the Kit Kat Club is Tomorrow Belongs to Me, which is that really terrifying like yeah. in inverted commas Nazi anthem. Um, because what had happened like in some of the early previews and like rehearsals of the original production, I think it was Jerome Robbins had come in and said like had watched a rehearsal and said you should get rid of all of the songs that aren't in the club and just have the songs in the club. Um, and Hal Prince was like, no, no, we'll keep those other songs because there are some like Sally and Cliff sing a love song and like yeah. the other characters sing outside of the club. But a lot of a lot of people think and now have interpreted that it should really be that the club is the only place where musical things happen. Mm. And also because then it's like it's is it they're only diegetic songs. So it's like it's only songs that are actually happening on stage. Yeah. And not like a representation of just someone's thoughts kind That's of right. thing. Yeah. And what's clever about them is, yeah, they are diegetic because they're actually occurring in like this is happening, people yeah. are watching this, but also all of the songs and the way that they're structured in the musical actually reflect the action or the character's development or like the rising political tension of the yeah. time. So it's really clever in that way because they might seem like they're just, we're just watching a club but it's a lot more clever than yes, that. Yeah. So anyway, Bob Fosse decided to, to take those songs out, apart from Tomorrow Belongs to Me. Um, Kendra and Ebb wrote two new songs for the show. So they wrote Mine Hair and The Banger Money. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so they sort of incorporated money into like a song that they'd already written um, that was already – so there's another song, Money, that was in the original, but it's not as good. So they okay. wrote, wrote this other one. And what I didn't realise is that they'd already written Maybe This Time. It was like a standalone, like, standard. Oh, right, like a torch and they're just song. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it was – well, it's pretty much like one of their trunk songs. Yeah. And they just chucked it into this show. Yeah. And how did this – 
I know. How is this song not specifically written for Cabaret? It is so, it's fucking perfect. Yeah. That just shocked me when I found that out. That's crazy. So, yeah, they added maybe this time to to the film. And like I said, Joel Grey and Liza Minnelli were actually cast before Bob Fosse was brought in. Um, Michael York was cast as Cliff slash Brian, whatever his name is. Um, Liza Minnelli had actually auditioned for the role on Broadway and um, she was deemed like too inexperienced at the time. Mm. So it was like, what, six or seven years earlier. So she'd had a bit more success. I think she may have even won a Tony by then for something else. Right. Um, So so she was like a bit more experienced. and off she went. She was in the film. It was filmed in West Germany and it was immediately successful when it came out. Like yeah. critics loved it. The original author of the short story Goodbye to Berlin, Christopher Isherwood, hated it. And a lot of his friends at the time were like the peep, the characters. So like he had a female friend, I can't remember her name, but she was the um, inspiration for Sally Bowles and yeah. none, of, none of his friends liked the film. So I think they thought it was just not really a true representation of what life in Berlin was really like or whatever it was. Um, It was also the first musical movie to be given an X rating. Wow. Since then it's been re-rated. So I think it's more like M or MA now. Well, but over there they they don't call them that. No, there's something different. But like at the time the themes of like sex and homosexuality and abortion were really racy I suppose but – I mean, we could get into a whole thing about how the film rating thing in America it's is so fucked. broken. Yeah. So broken. So broken. Uh, but yeah. The film got 10 Oscar nominations and it won eight. That's amazing. Interestingly, it still holds the record for the most Oscars won by a film that didn't win Best Picture. Oh. Do you know what won Best Picture that year? What year was it? This was 1972. So the 1973 Oscars. Is, was, it, a, is it a Godfather? It's the Godfather. Yeah. yeah. So, of course. Um, Cabaret won Best Director for Fosse. It got Best Actress for Liza Minnelli, Best Supporting Actor for Joel Grey, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Editing, Best Score and Best Sound. I actually really love the film. Yeah. Um, I know that Hug musical theatre fans are divided. Okay. Shock horror, musical theatre fans are divided. Never. I think it's wonderful and I'm also a sucker for Bob Fosse's choreography. Yeah. Like well, it's so good. I mean, yeah. yeah. I can't even imagine the original Broadway production without Bob Fosse's choreography. Yeah, so then do the revivals incorporate it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like like Chicago now, it's like that. You have to do you it. Ha- you like it's synonymous with the show. Yeah. So it'd be silly not to. Yeah. But a lot of since the film, a lot of productions include Mine Hair and Maybe This Time yeah. and Money in the production. So like the Mendes productions included those film songs. Yeah. And took out like a lot of the other songs. Yeah, right. So now it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit more murky about where the differences are. See where the difference between the original Broadway and the film were really obvious. Now it's less obvious okay, with our yeah, subsequent yeah, productions. Yeah. 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 Um, so some fun facts, David Black, a producer had commissioned Sandy Wilson, who was, who had had the, a lot of success with the, the boyfriend, boyfriend yeah, yeah. um, to write an adaptation of Goodbye to Berlin. So Sandy Wilson had completed a book and most of a score for the musical. He'd even recorded a demo of like the heaps of songs that he'd recorded when he discovered that. Black's option on the source material had lapsed <gasps> and how Prince had since purchased the oh. rights. Yeah, I know. And how Prince apparently, like, once he'd purchased the rights, he listened to Sandy Wilson's score and was like, no. Oh. <laughs> 
harsh. Can, I know, so harsh. This poor man had written like, oh, you can actually listen to the demo of Goodbye to Berlin. It's not easy to find. Um, I couldn't find any free versions to link for you, but I know like I found a Reddit thread with like someone with a share link and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. you, can, you can find them if you're really desperate. But apparently it, according to how Prince, it just didn't reflect that sort of vaudeville feel mm. that he wanted. So interesting. Um, another interesting fun fact, there's no overture for this musical. Okay. The show literally starts with a drum roll and a cymbal crash before yeah. Wilkerman. Yeah, so, like, that's it. And that would have been quite rare at the time, right? Very yeah. rare. So that's why, like, at the time, apart from the staging, this show is quite groundbreaking. Yeah, Originally, like I said, the songs were supposed to be a prologue to the drama, but the, of those songs that um, Kander and Ebb wrote, only Wilkerman remained. Yeah. Um, the others were all cut. So you can hear these at the end of the original Broadway cast recording. So, like, Kander and Ebb have recorded them oh, as like, demos. Oh, yeah, right. And it's at the end of that recording, which is cool. So every single production of Cabaret has altered the score in some way, every single production. There are now so many versions that you can perform or see. Yeah. So many. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, in the film, Sally Bowles became an American because Liza Minnelli can't do accents, <laughs> <laughs> which I love. Um, also, according to Kanda, the song Cabaret is regularly misinterpreted, so everyone would know the song. You know, Life is yeah. a cabaret. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the 11 o'clock number of the show. Um, it's usually performed as like a piece of entertaining fluff. Yeah. Which is just not. So <laughs> Sally, in the middle of that song, decides to have an abortion. Yeah. But that's what the song is about. Um, it's a fucking heartbreak of a song, but it's just generally performed as like, hey, cabaret. I know. Like, and that's just not the intention at all. Interestingly as well, the song Tomorrow Belongs to Me is sometimes confused for an actual Nazi song. So people think that it's actually yeah. like it was an actual it's Nazi like anthem. Adel, Edelweiss it's like Edelweiss style. It's, I wrote that. Yeah. I was like, it's the Edelweiss effect. Yeah. Um, the song was written by Kander and Ebb from the perspective of the Nazis. It's supposed to be really dark and upsetting because it's like this uplifting. It's like a full-on propaganda song. It's a full-on propaganda yeah. song. So um, as I said, Kander and Ebb are both Jewish, but some people actually – like who don't know the context or just listen to this song actually say, oh, that's like a Nazi sympathiser song. Yeah. And Kendra and Ebba been like, you have to, like it's. Con- context it's, is everything, right? Context yeah. is everything. But like some people just don't understand like yeah. satire or art. Or, yeah. Like fucking hell. Kendra actually tells a story about this Jewish club um, had like written to him and requested for permission to use the song as their anthem and he had to write back and be like, no, no. No, no. That's not what that means. Like it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Mm. Another interesting fact is that the original camera negative of the film has been missing for years. So the film restoration we now have had to be like completed frame by frame because the negative just doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, and the last fun fact I want to talk about, that Schitt's Creek Cabaret episode. Yes, Which I think we've mentioned before. I think we have, but it's so good. Isn't it? Yeah. So I've linked to two clips from that episode. If you're a fan of Schitt's Creek, or if you're not a fan, you should be a fan. But they basically do uh, like an amateur production of Cabaret and it's really good. Yeah. So you just see, um, I think you see Vilkomen and maybe this time and I think you hear two ladies in the background yeah. of the scene and um, it's really yeah, good. Yeah, I should rewatch that episode. It's such a good I episode. I think I have another fun fact that you haven't mentioned. Tell me. I think Joel Grey might be the only person to win a Tony and an Oscar for the same role. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Or something, in fact, it's like, or at least the first. And I'm pretty sure that it's also like the only awards that he's ever won. Yeah, you're probably right. So like he hasn't, I know that he hasn't won any other Oscars. 
Mm. I don't think he would have won any other Tonys either. But, like, if you think about it, it, it wouldn't – I mean, unless – oh, unless, like, did Julie Andrews ever? Maybe not for the same role. Anyway, yeah, no. I think he might be the only one. That's a cool fun fact. Yeah, yeah that sounds that sounds mm. true. Well, yeah. there aren't many, like we've spoken about, there aren't many film versions that also feature the original exactly. Broadway cast. Exactly. Like that's quite rare, yeah. weirdly enough. So, um, okay, so Gateway Songs. Yes. I think Vilkeman should be your first gateway. It makes yep. a lot of sense. It's literally welcoming you to the show. Yep. It's the beginning of the show. Um, it shows you like here's the Kit Kat Club, here's the style, here are the characters, like it's just perfect. Um, then I've popped in maybe this time. It's from the film, yes, and I know it's not from the original show, like the original Broadway cast, but it's so perfectly Sally um, and it's just so what heartbreaking. A, it's such a great song. It's such a good song. Um, then I think you should listen to Cabaret. Yeah. I've put Liza Minnelli's version on there because Liza Minnelli is a divine goddess. Yeah. Um there's also a special bonus song in there. I've put Money from the Revival featuring Alan Cumming. Yeah. Um, because it's great and you should listen to Alan Cumming. He's I think I've so also great. put in, um, I've linked this video from, I think it's from maybe the Kennedy Center where Alan Cumming comes out and and like does a performance and then halfway through Joel Grey comes out and they're oh. both the MC Was at the same time. Was it maybe like the Kennedy Center Honours for someone exactly. or something? Exactly, it was the Kennedy yeah. Center Honours and it's such a good performance because I think at the time like the Chicago revival was on so all the dancers are like the Chicago dancers. Right. And it's a very good performance. And then you see how different those two MCs are. Yeah. They're so different. And Alan Cumming is just amazing. Yeah. And so and Joel Grey like – does he age? He's like a wizard. He's so awesome, isn't he? So awesome. Um, and I, you remember I did that production of The World Goes Round when I was at uni? Which I is, loved that production. Yeah, That's a review, right? The Candor and Ebb review. Yeah. Um, and there was two songs from Cabaret that were really great in it. One is that maybe this time is in like a – they made like a sort of a triptych with um, – uh, two other Candor and Ebb songs yeah. and, and it's amazing. It is amazing. And then the other one is – Cabaret is done as like a five-part harmony, yes. really amazing like arrangement of it. And I that think was the really world cool goes too. round is like apart from Songs for New World is the best review. Mm. Well, Songs for New World is not a review. Yeah. Um, it's such a good review. It's, it was, I really love doing it. I, I wish it was sort of done more. I think it's hard because like the title, the, the song The World Goes Round is an excellent yes, song as it well. Is. And New York, New York was in it, I think. Um, but um, the world goes round. Oh, really? I can't remember. But the song "The World Goes Round" is excellent. But I think the title is just not very. Do you remember that song we did from it? From there's what? There's a duet that we did from "The World Goes Round." Oh, uh, the, grass the grass is always, is always greener. greener. That so that's from "Woman of the Year." Yeah, is Woman the name of, of the, the Musical. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's got like lots of songs from the Rink and like yeah. other songs as well. Yeah. Coloured lights is in it. I would love them to do like a an updated World Goes Round that had like curtains and yeah. like some of their later shows in it. And The Visit. And The Visit. <laughs> well, Apparently like Scott, their Scott, best one. Scott's for Boys. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, like there are others. Yeah, yeah, but like it's it's funny that the world goes around came came around. Yeah, sort of before those, they even I know, finished. I know. Finished working. It's bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I know Ken Renebra really celebrated, but I think they're underrated. I, I agree. Yeah. I really agree. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Although interestingly, there wasn't that much. There's not that much Chicago in the world goes around. 
in compa- comparative to how famous it is for their. I, d- I think those are hard to stand alone, mm. don't you reckon? Well, and also just I think there was a certain vibe they were going for with that show that yeah, Chicago didn't Chicago, really fit. I think Chicago's the outlier of the Candor and Ebb shows. Mm. Also even just in like um, subject matter. Well, but interestingly like, and I'm sure we'll talk about, I'm sure I'm doing Chicago at some point, like um, – it, it just the movie makes people think that show is nowhere near as dark as it is. Like if you so do dark, Chicago yeah. properly, yeah. it's proper dark. Like yeah, it's Kendra the best way to do dark. it. Yeah. Um, but that isn't how people see the show. Mm. It's a bit like company can be a bit similar where people yeah. see it because like really shiny and like that production you and I saw in Australia, like they made it really shiny and yeah, yeah. happy. Fluffy. And like Rocky Horror can be a bit similar where people make yeah. it like glitzy yeah. rather than like no it's like it's gritty, gritty they yeah. should be gritty dirty yeah yeah and like well i think that was why the film the cabaret film was so great because it didn't shy away from in fact yes. there are parts of the there are parts of the film that bob fossey had like brought back that were really controversial you know that song oh god i can't even remember it's the one where you know the mc singing with the gorilla mm. uh yep uh, oh my like goodness! Yeah. Why I love her? What, yeah. I don't know. Whatever it is. Well, at the end, originally Kendra and Eb wrote it that he was going to say, "And I love her because, and even though she's Jewish or something, it's the, yeah. whatever the line is, yeah. and it's supposed to really shock the audience." But in the original Broadway production, how Prince convinced them to cut it because it was too upsetting. Oh wow! But Bob Fosse brought it back for the okay. film, so the film was like proper gritty, yeah, gritty dark, like not. It was uncomfortable the whole thing. Yeah, but yeah, like I agree. The Chicago film is very yeah bright and shiny, and well, yes, um, to the point where they've changed, like you know. Christine Bransky plays the character yes. that's normally played by a man. Like there's all those yeah. things, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, also watch Fosse Verdon. Like like Josephine yeah. mentioned it. It's fantastic. I think we've had it as a content recommendation before. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's some cool scenes in Fosse Verdon about the filming of Cabaret yeah. and that's really cool. Because he's like cheating. And, yeah, because yeah. he's a dick. <laughs> yeah. Such a dick. But, um, yeah, awesome. Oh, yeah, I'd love to see Cabaret. I really would. Yeah. I even missed like it was on in Australia. Yeah. The Hayes did it not that long ago, yeah. a few years ago, but I missed that one as well. It's a, it's actually a musical that could be really quite sparse. Mm. Like it doesn't need to be. I rem- I saw an amateur production, oh God, quite a while ago at our local theatre and it was just really, really big, like a bit too much, you right. know what I mean? Like I think they wanted to turn it into Chicago. Yeah, right. But it can be like it can be really stripped back and really – yeah, dark. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be much. And it should be Berlin in the 1930s should be quite dirty. Like it yeah. should be really sort of yeah. poor. And, and the Kit Kat Club is supposed to be really seedy. It's a seedy nightclub. Yep. Like it's a fringe club. So, yeah, I really lo- I enjoy that about the show. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Awesome. So that's Cabaret. Loved it. Loved it. A bit of a contrast in the quality of shows this week, I'm afraid. <laughs> Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. We live and we learn. I bet there's a listener out there who's like, I love Starlight Express. Yeah. And like all power to them. Oh, totally. Yeah. Guys, you don't have to agree with me. I'm sure none of you do. (laughs) (laughs) I reckon that there are a lot of people who are just like, Josephine hates all my favourite shows. Josephine hates everything. (laughs) (laughs) If it helps, I love everything. Yeah. Even Starlight Express. It's cute. I find that a very endearing quality about you. Thank you. It's one of my favourite things about you. I, I kind of wish I could be more judicious with my opinions about I don't things. think you should change anything about yourself. Thank you. You're welcome. Hmm, that's a good note to end on, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if you say so. 
This has been my favourite musical um, no, 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 podcast. Yeah, like and subscribe and all that shit. Yeah, and yeah. Um, we have a mixtape every Thursday yep. where we list you our favourite songs on a topic. And uh, other than that, um, full episode comes out every Monday. Yeah. And have a good week, everyone. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.